Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. This is episode 31, and today's guest is Adam Riley, the founder of Rock Jumper Birding Tours, the world's biggest birding company. He chats to us all about his recent birding adventures, tips to grow as a birder, as well as sharing all about pelagic birding. If you listen to Adam's previous interview, you'll know that this is going to be a great half an hour with one of the world's leading birders. So pour yourself something to drink, sit back and enjoy. Okay, Adam, I want to welcome you to the show. I was thinking about this when I was preparing for this podcast. The reality is a lot of people have been on the show twice, but you are on the show for the third time. So welcome back to the show for the third time. Thank you very much, Adam. It's a great honor to be on the show for the third time, and I look forward to our chat. So last time you were on the show, you were chatting and bragging all about your Magnoni birding. It's such a stunning place to go birding. I know Tyron Dahl, one of the guys who's part of our team, went birding at Magnoni a couple of weeks ago. Tell us a little bit about that quickly and about just a short edited version for those who haven't heard about it. Tell us about that and also how's the birding been since that Magnoni experience? Yeah, so I was very fortunate to spend level five lockdown the entire five weeks with my family at our lodge, Zebra Hills and the Magnoni Private Game Reserve. And we had the most amazing lockdown with a 23,000 hectare back garden. And I took up the Bird Lesser lockdown birding challenge and managed to find uh, 260 bird species during the, the five weeks. And I wrote a really cool article about it, which is in the latest issue of uh, the African BirdLife magazine. I've been back several times uh, to Magnoni since then, uh, a few times uh, through the winter where we managed to pick up some, some interesting birds that come down from sort of the, the drier areas of Pongola into the, the more wetter areas of, of Zululand, such as Magnoni. And um, now that summer is here, um, it's wonderful to, to be finding the summer migrants. The cuckoos have arrived. Um, I managed to find African barred owlet on my last trip, which was my first uh, record for the trip, uh, for, for the reserve. And uh, also a new bird for the reserve, a little stint on one of the wetlands. But already we, we're getting a lot of exciting migrants and it looks like it's going to be an amazing summer. I think what always amazes me is, is the birds that you guys get to see. A couple of your guys, the rock jumper guys, were up at Cumberland Nature Reserve a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, we go birding there and we get a cool list in that. Your guys go there and all of a sudden they get birds that nobody else has ever seen. You know... 
what advice would you give for those who are listening to improve their birding? Because, I mean, I, I'm always fascinated with the, the, the species that you guys get to see. You know, how can we, how can those who are listening grow as birders so that we can start to see more species? So it's very much a matter of experience. You know, generally, if, if you go birding in, in a fairly limited area, you get to know the birds of that area well. And you don't necessarily know birds that that don't that that might be rare in the area or or once off, and in that case they might be overlooked, or you might not know the exact habitats that a certain species uh, likes or its call, etc. So because we we are birding sort of all year round and have been doing it for many many years, it's actually our profession. Um, we we do know virtually every single Southern African species and also species that aren't in Southern Africa that are potential vagrants to Southern Africa. And as a result of that, when we do see them, because we know them already, uh, we, we pick them up as rarities um, in, in unusual areas. So just to give an example, um, last year I was birding with some friends at Darvel Bird Sanctuary just outside Peter Marisburg, and an uh, unusual swallow flew past me. I saw a a red rump, um, and it wasn't one of the, the stripe swallows. I didn't see any stripes on it. Amelia thought, is that a, a cliff swallow, or is it something else really unusual? It, luckily, it landed. I managed to get a few shots of it, and then immediately knew it was a red rump swallow, which was the first record for KwaZulu-Natal, um, and in fact, the first record that's ever been submitted to the Rarities Committee for South Africa, so it officially becomes the first uh, South African record of red rump swallow. Um, but for many people, you know, a, a, a swallow is, swallows can be quite difficult to identify and, and are often overlooked. COVID-19 has been really difficult on the tourism industry. I don't think just in South Africa, I think worldwide. Um, what has Rock Jumper done to navigate the season as well as to, to stay afloat? Yeah, it's been really tough. Um, we've battened down the hatches and essentially uh, we're in survival mode and uh, we'll survive this as long as it takes. Um, but our guides are, are doing quite a lot of local birding, which is great. So um, they're kind of doing it as their own initiative and have got out into our local communities and are, are taking people birding all over the place and seeing amazing birds and also really getting a, a, a lot of people into birding, a lot of new people who haven't experienced birding much. So it's been great that uh, our local communities have had access to these world-class guides who usually are out birding the world and are now available to them. We've also got a few other really fun initiatives uh, that we will be launching soon, which I'm sure you'll hear more about in time. And then in terms of um, listeners around the world, I know that we get listeners from not just South Africa, but all around the world. And... I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to book a tour with Rock Jumper in South Africa or possibly somewhere else in the world or somewhere else in Africa. You know, with these the COVID restrictions in place, how does that look at the moment? What would the procedure be? Would they get hold of you guys and you put them on hold until the right time? How does that look at the moment for somebody who wants to do a tour with Rock Jumper? So, you know, every country has different uh, restrictions and regulations. Um, both from the destination where people are coming from and uh, where they're going to. 
So it really depends, uh, and, and every, every situation is, is unique. So if people do want to find out if they are interested in our tours, and, and we do have a few tours starting to run. We've got our first uh, Tanzania and Kenya tours actually on the go at the moment, and we've got another one starting up in a few days' time. Um, we've got several tours uh, in December, including Costa Rica, um, Colombia, and a few other destinations. So if you are interested in, in doing any tours, uh, feel free to contact us on info at rockjumperbirding.com and our team will advise you on what the uh, requirements and restrictions are. And then we know that COVID-19 has changed a heck of a lot of things. You know, in which ways do you think that the AV tourism um, industry, the you know, companies, how, how do you think business will change going forward? It's very hard to predict because we're not out of it yet. Um, there certainly is a pent-up demand. People are, are desperate to travel. Whether they will travel in different ways, we don't know. Um, possibly there will, there will be more virtual birding travel. We do think that there will be uh, less uh, long-haul airplanes out there and probably the, the cost of, of actually booking flights and tickets will be higher, which, which might uh, restrict people um, to traveling um, as much as they were traveling. But we, we really don't know what it will be like because we, we're not out of it yet. And then Rockjumper has started offering pelagic birding trips off of Durban. Now, Cape Town is seen by many people as the uh, pelagic birding hotspot in South Africa. So why would you say somebody should go and do pelagic birding off of Durban? Yeah, without a doubt, Cape Town is the best pelagic birding um, center in South Africa. Uh, most of the pelagics that we get off South Africa come from the subantarctic islands to our south, and Cape Town is way further south than, than Durban, and therefore gets greater volumes and species diversity of pelagic species. However, Durban does have uh, some really interesting birds. And over the last few years, with more pelagics going out and also going out much deeper than they used to go out many years ago, some fascinating species have been found. Probably most notable is Barau's petrel, which was a, a, is a little known and not too recently described species um, that breeds uh, mostly around Reunion in the Indian Ocean. And only a few years ago was it actually discovered to be even coming into Southern African waters. Nowadays, between sort of mid-September and, and uh, mid to late November, they, we found that they're actually very regular off Durban, but about 30 to 40 kilometers out, which is beyond the range of, of the pelagics that used to go out many years ago that didn't find these birds. And now it's probably the most accessible place in the world to actually find, find uh, Barau's petrol. Adam, you're, uh, you've done a lot of international birding, which we'll speak about in the moment. But let me put you, let me ask you a tough question. What potential species do you think we could see coming into South African waters in, in, in the near future? I mean, based on the fact that you understand a lot about international birding and that, you know, what possible species do you predict we could possibly get to see in Southern African waters? Well, seabirds are notorious vagrants. Um, so pretty much anything can pitch up almost anywhere. Uh, for instance, there was a Tahiti petrel um, recorded off Durban, first record for Southern Africa last year. 
and that's not even one that we we really expected. Uh, it's, it's way out of range. Also, actually, on one of the rock jumper pelagics a few years ago, we got the only record of Amsterdam Island albatross off Cape Town. And uh, what's interesting with Amsterdam Island albatross, it's a form of wandering albatross that uh, even an adult plumage retains a dark back. And they breed on a, a French-owned island called Amsterdam Island. And there were very few of them uh, until quite recently, but conservation efforts have now really grown the population. And species like that, or Amsterdam Island albatross in particular, can be expected to be found more regularly now in southern Africa. In fact, they've been satellite tracked into waters off Mozambique and, and uh, KwaZulu-Natal. And uh, it's just a matter of time before we start seeing them more regularly. But there's a, there's a whole plethora of species, especially there's been a lot of splitting going on um, in, in pelagic groups, such as uh, the bandrum storm petrel groups, um, some of the albatrosses, some of the dark-backed uh, small shearwaters. And uh, without a doubt, there'll be new species that will start picking up uh, in Southern Africa as more and more people go out and as more people are taking photographs and uh, picking up some of these uh, rare birds and studying them really hard. Uh, prions are another group. Um, there's a whole bunch of new species and some of them haven't been recorded in Southern Africa. And, and I'm sure that they do occur every now and then. But what amazes me is, you know, when these rare birds show up, I mean, to be honest with you, I find pelagic birding incredibly difficult. It's not birds that we're familiar with, birds that we get to see now and then, unless you do pelagic trips very often. You know, how, how do the guys identify these things? You know, how do you see a bird that's flying around in the, midst, in the middle of a thousand birds or whatever, hundreds of birds flying around, and you're like, oh my word, that's that bird. How do they, how, how do they get, to, how do you, you get to identify those kinds of species? It's, it's insane. Yeah, with anything, if you spend enough time doing it, you become an, an expert. And uh, you do your research and read the latest findings about different splits and uh, new discoveries on how to separate uh, species. And there's still species in the field that can't be separated from the information that we currently have. So getting a lot of photos is, is really important. But you know, once you, you're an experienced uh, seabirder, you, you can look out at a group of birds uh, or even see a, a distant bird. And just based on its uh, jizz, the way it flies, its shape, the, the way it holds its head, the way it, it might uh, circle upwards or, or, or flap its wings, you can often tell that it's a species that you're familiar with or a species that, that you're not familiar with and be able to get down to uh, a specific species identification long before you can actually see fine plumage details. Hi, my name is Chris. And I'm the host of the Birding Life Youth Podcast, the show where we dive into the minds of the young birders in our world to find out what makes them tick. Our first podcast is now online. The guest for this podcast is Daniel Engelbrecht. We speak about many topics related to birds, including a story of an embarrassing misidentification. This will be a bi-weekly podcast, with the next podcast coming out on the 31st of October. From exciting twitches to embarrassing dips, we will be covering stories of what energizes the young birders in our world. Be sure to stay in the loop by following us on your preferred podcast streamer and like, follow and subscribe to all of the Birding Life social media platforms. 
I know for some people, thinking about going out to sea is not the most attractive option. I mean, you think of the, bur- the, the boat going up and down, and you think of getting seasick and all these kinds of things. You know, what do you think is the attraction of pelagic birding? What makes it so amazing? Well, I must admit, I'm not uh, a great sailor, so I don't particularly enjoy spending hours out at sea bobbing around. Although I do love looking at seabirds, so I force myself out every now and then just to to uh, keep myself trained on seabirds and and hope to pick up some new species and just enjoy the amazing birds that that I do see, even if we only see common ones. Um, but yeah, it, it is a very challenging environment, and uh, to to be an expert at it, you you need to spend a lot of time out there. But you know, going out once a year is, is fine as well, and uh, over, over the years, you'll you'll get to see some really special birds. I know last year, I think it was last year, yeah, we did an outing with BirdLife Port Natal. We went out and we got some got the grey petrel, which was really amazing. But something that I I realised with going out because I was I was a little bit nervous before I went out. I was really worried I was going to be barfing over the site, <laughs> so I was nervous about that. And I mean, I hadn't been out to sea in in a small boat. And there was a bit of the fear factor side of things. But once I got out and you had um, Indian yellownose albatrosses flying around the boat and all these birds, which were, you know, I'd maybe seen some of them far, far out at sea from from land and getting and literally these having these birds a couple of meters from you is an awe inspiring experience. I don't think you can, you know, as a birder, uh, I don't think there's much that possibly rivals actually getting out and getting close to these birds that are almost mysterious because you don't get to see them very often. Yeah, it is very special being out there. And, and those birds are spectacular. Just their incredible adaptation for, for living in these extreme environments is, is uh, as you say, awe-inspiring. I mean, especially on a rough day and you're out there and you, you look at these tiny little storm petrels and bouncing in the waves and they look like they're having the time of their lives. And you think, how can this tiny, delicate little bird live in these rough waters and yet that's where they thrive and they seek out the rough waters so yeah i mean there there are several things you can do to to mitigate um, seasickness and you would certainly enjoy the trip a lot more if if you're not nauseous Um, getting a good night's sleep the night before avoiding alcohol avoiding coffee and chocolate in the morning are are all um, good pieces of advice um, over the years, I've used all sorts of different remedies uh, to try alleviate uh, seasickness. Um, I've eventually found a medicine that works for me. And since I've been taking it, I've never been sick again. And, but it took me years of experimentation. You, know, you, you get quite a few different um, meds that you can get over the counter or on prescription. Um, you get the patches you stick behind your ear. You get various bands that, that push pressure points or I even had a, a kind of watch that gave electrical uh, shocks into my wrist. Um, none of those really work for me, um, but they work for other people. So if, if you are prone to seasickness, um, don't despair. Just keep uh, trying different remedies and eventually you'll find the one that works for you. <laughs> the thing with getting shocked in the arm is almost like you get shocked and you forget about the fact that your stomach's not feeling good. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds quite scary. So, Adam, you've done a lot of traveling internationally, and I'm sure you've done a lot of pelagic birding, not just in Southern Africa, but around the world. Which are some spots where you've been able to 
experienced pelagic burning outside of Southern African waters and what have been some of the highlights? Yeah, I've been fortunate to have done some really exciting pelagic trips. Probably the most enjoyable one that I've done, um, where we've got some extremely rare little known species, including an, an as yet undescribed storm petrel, was a 31-day pelagic that I did starting in New Zealand and ending in Japan that went through a, a bunch of sort of small islands off New Zealand, um, islands off Australia, Norfolk Island in particular, then up through New Caledonia, um, Solomon Islands, New Guinea, um, Micronesia, and finally ending off in Japan. And uh, we saw some, some of the world's rarest and most sought after uh, seabirds. The one undescribed species that we saw was, was, uh, has been given a provisional name of New Caledonian storm petrel. Um, I think the year we went was the second time it had ever been seen. And it was a large, quite a large storm petrel with streaks on the belly, very similar to the New Zealand storm petrel, but quite a bit bigger that uh, we saw and actually got photographs of uh, just off the coast of New Caledonia. On that trip, I also photographed uh, Newell Shearwater, which is one of these fairly newly described uh, species um, of shearwaters. And it was the first site record for Australia. There'd been one um, dead specimen that had washed up on the beaches before. But um, so yeah, some really exciting uh, seabirding on that trip. I've also done several trips uh, down into the Southern Arctic and Antarctic um, areas. And although the species diversity is not necessarily as high as some of the sort of more temperate areas, the, the sea watching is fantastic. Um, off some of the islands, you get huge numbers of, of uh, albatrosses and shearwaters and petrels, as well as especially going to South Georgia Island, for instance, you get off and you're in, in amongst a colony of several hundred thousand pairs of king penguins walking around amongst these amazing birds. It's, it's really one of the absolute um, experiences of a lifetime. Um, the Subantarctic Islands of New Zealand are, are also fantastic. I did a trip there a couple of years ago. We, we visited um, Snares, um, Campbell, and Auckland Islands. And there it's probably the richest uh, seabird waters in the world uh, with regard to, to species diversity. I think we had something like 12 or 14 species of albatrosses on that trip. Many of them we all even saw at nesting colonies, and it's just wonderful walking around, sort of displaying southern royal albatrosses just a few meters away from you. You actually got to walk off the trails sometimes to get around their nest that they built right on the trails. Um, really spectacular experiences. It's just making me start drooling thinking about the flock to Marion. I know it's going to be 2021 up in 2022 now. Um, I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing experience. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that trip. What What can people actually expect to see? I mean, I know you guys are supporters of BirdLife South Africa, and I, I know people listening to this might not have booked for it yet. You know, what can people expect to see? Why should they book to go on the flock to Marion? So flock to Marion is a BirdLife South Africa trip on one of the large cruise liners. I think uh, we can take about 2,000 uh, people on the ship, which sounds horrific for a, for a pelagic birding trip, but it actually has worked out really, really well on the, the previous two flocks that BirdLife South Africa have run. Um, and there's multiple viewing decks. And, and one of the great advantages of, of this flock is that BirdLife arranges a large number of, of pelagic bird experts um, 
I think last time we had 18 Rock Jumper tour guides on, on the boat, as well as guides from other companies and other seabird experts like Peter Harrison, who's one of the world uh, seabird experts. So you, you got this incredible uh, wealth of knowledge on the ship that are all showing people the birds. And because there's so many great birders and, and so many eyes out there, we really pick up some incredible species. And um, yeah, the, the viewing actually isn't that bad. Even though you're on a large ship, uh, the birds often come pretty close. And this worked out really well. Obviously, it's, it's also incredibly economic because of the number of people that are on the ship. So it's, it's great value for money. It's with MSC and can be booked through BirdLife South Africa, I believe. Otherwise, uh, Rock Jumper also bought quite a few cabins, uh, which, which are available uh, through us. So you can uh, book directly with us. The idea with uh, Flock to Marin, which is going to run in January 2022, is leaving Durban, heading out to, to Marin and Prince Edward Islands, and then ending in Cape Town. It's, it's, I think it's seven nights on the boat. And, you know, there'll be some really good birding within the 200 nautical miles that still count as part of uh, the Southern African subregion. And then going further south, um, we might pick up some of the, the more specialist subantarctic species that very rarely or never come into Southern African waters. And then around Marion Island itself, we're hoping that we'll be able to get to see a few of the endemic species like lesser sheepbill and Kerguelen tern and uh, one or two species of cormorants within that area. Oh, I really can't wait. But on a on a closer, a little bit closer to home, um, like we spoke about the fact that you guys have started offering pelagic trips off of Durban. Let me let me first just ask the question: Is there room for another pelagic birding tour operator off of the Durban coast, or is the market a bit stretched? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's really something that, that we're doing just now during COVID. I'm, I don't know whether we will continue doing it. And the reason we, do, we did it really is, is uh, for our guides to, to get out and do a little bit of birding. Um, they're keen to get out there and um, take some people out. Um, you know, it's not, not really something that we're doing for the money because there's very little in it. Um, the margins are very, very tight once you charter the boat and pay for the fuel, etc. But yeah, it seems like it's been pretty popular so far. Our first two trips uh, have been fully booked out. We still have a few spaces for our next two trips in late November and early December. And then we'll, we'll take a gap for a few months, uh, usually December, sort of mid-December through to, to uh, mid-March isn't really a great time of year. We'll, we'll start again in the latter period of March and uh, see how it goes. And in terms of birding off of Durban, pelagic birding off of Durban, what species can one expect to see and what are the best seasons to, to book a trip? So seasonally, uh, as I mentioned, uh, sort of starting in March, when, which is a, a migration period for seabirds, so you're getting some of the summer um, species that breed in, in the northern hemisphere still around, and, and you get species like black belly storm petrel coming past our shores. Um, they're around just during the transition period, March, April, and then again, sort of August, September, and early October. So, so from March all the way through winter, um, when there's more of the southern uh, species coming up, um, through to about uh, mid-December is quite good. Um, different birds at different seasons. 
So, uh, you know, there's certain species that are there all year round, like Indian yellownose albatross and shire albatross and watch and petrels and sooty shear waters. And then in, in summer, you get more chance of, of uh, you know, great shear waters and sooty terns, um, arctic skua, um, or jager as it's called, parasitic jager is a new name for it. And then in winter, you get you know, better chances for some of the other albatrosses like, like wandering and black-browed and uh, pintado or cape petrel. Um, and then in the transitional periods, it's better for, for things like soft plumage petrel, barouse petrel, as, as we spoke about earlier, um, great wing petrels. Um, yeah, the Wilson storm petrels are around all year, but U European storm petrels are uh, more in summer, obviously. Um, Black-bellied is a transitional species. And then there's vagrant storm petrels like, like white-faced and white-bellied that you have to be extremely lucky to find. And then what does a day of pelagic birding look like on a practical level? You know, run through the logistics of the day. So from when people arrive, what time do they arrive and how does the, the day look? So we, we plan to set sail at six o'clock in the morning. So it's, it's uh, really early. And similar to land birds, pelagic birds are also most active from six to, to about 11 o'clock. And then there's a lull in activity during the center of the, the middle of the day. So we get on at six, we, we've uh, using a, a fast boat that hasn't done Durban pelagics before. And we zoom out straight to the 30, 40 K uh, mark, which is the, the deep water mark where there's upwellings that, that bring rich waters from deep under. We get out there in an hour and a half to two hours at the most. And we then throw out um, buckets of frozen chum. Uh, this is a, a pretty gory mixture of shark livers, if we can get those from the shark's board, um, mixed with sardine oil and, and bits of uh, reject fish that are all frozen together. And we throw this out into the water and we basically just follow the, the buckets of chum as they slowly break up and disperse in the water. And the smell of this chum actually brings in some really interesting seabirds. So some of the species that are quite shy of actually being around ships will come in and inspect the, the chum or see what's going on. And, and, and you end up getting these, these birds that are often usually only scattered in very low density over the ocean coming in and spending time around the boat. So we bob out there for a while. If there's any trawlers around, we'll also go and, and spend time around the trawlers because that attracts a different subset of, of species that, that are attracted as, as the, the nets are brought in by the trawlers. And then about 11 o'clock, we then um, pack up and head back to, to harbour, getting in sort of somewhere between 12 and 1 or just thereafter. And then those, we spoke earlier about, you know, preparing to see those unusual species, but, you know, what books and resources would you recommend for people that are looking to book a pelagic trip so they can kind of prepare themselves ahead of time? So if you want to study up on, on your seabirds, the traditional field guides like the Roberts and the Sassel will cover all the species that are known for Southern Africa. And that, of course, will, will pretty much cover you unless you see something really rare. But it's, it's really good also to study some of the more uh, international guides that cover all the species in the world. But the original one was Peter Harrison's Seabirds, but that's now become a bit outdated, although I believe he is working on a new one. There's Albatrosses, Petrels and Shearwaters of the World by Derek Onley, which is really good with illustrations. 
And last year, uh, Steve Howell published um, Oceanic Seabirds of the World, which is a photographic field guide with all the latest taxonomy and, and new species that have been split and discovered, etc. So I can highly recommend that one. There's also a lot of online resources. Um, so if you start digging into seabird identification uh, websites and, and discussions, there's a huge amount of material out there because there are a lot of people that really, really love seabird. And then one of the, the awesome things about going out on Pelagic is being able to get photos of these birds up really close. But it's not easy to do photos out at sea. The boat's moving around and there's spray and all this kind of thing. So what tips would you give for those who want to do some photography on a pelagic trip? Yeah, seabird photography is particularly challenging. So tips for seabird photography. The number one tip I would say is just take a lot of pictures. So probably 90% or more of your pictures, you're going to miss the bird or, or cut off a wing or you know, the bird will be behind a wave, etc. So I just take a lot of photographs. So I, I find a, a place where I'm not in anyone's way and either sit or, or get a, a really steady foothold and I just bang away and take as many photos as I can. Um, also try to predict where, where the bird's moving and potentially focus ahead of, of the bird and wait for it to fly into the screen uh, or into the shot. You also got to look quite carefully at exposure. You got to decide whether you, you mostly photographing against the water or you mostly photographing against the sky and set your exposure for, for the, the shots that you predict will come your way. Also, I, I, I generally take off any, any zooms or, or, or converters on my cameras um, to get a slightly wider angle because it, it can be quite hard to find these seabirds. And if you've got a wider angle, you've got a better chance. And also another tip is uh, if you can set your lens to, to focus at a greater distance, um, that, that's uh, a great idea because then it doesn't try to focus at, at a shorter shorter distance. So I think on, on my lens, I can set it at, at uh, I think it's eight meters and further out. And it's not trying to focus on the shorter distance. So it focuses much faster on, on further distances out. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this now and they're like, oh my word, they just want to book a pelagic trip. So how can people go about booking a pelagic trip with you guys? Yeah, so just uh, drop us an email at info at uh, rockjumper.com and Crystal, who answers those emails, will be more than delighted to book you onto one of our upcoming pelagic trips off Durban. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate your time. It's always good having you on the show and I'm looking forward to getting to chat to you again. Um, it's always awesome. Thanks so much for your time, eh? Fantastic. Thank you very much, Adam. It's been great chatting. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android. 
and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.